Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. If you like stories that feel like modernized fairy tales, you will love everything written by today's featured author, Nicholas Kotar, who writes epic fantasy and science fiction inspired by Slavic fairy tales. And if that sounds randomly specific, it's because he comes from a family of Russian immigrants and grew up speaking Russian before English. He then went on to study Russian literature, and I swear the man has lived a hundred lifetimes. He spent several years teaching, then traveled in a storytelling troupe, and again as a missionary. He then went back to Russian Orthodox seminary and now serves as a deacon, conducts a choir, teaches music, and is homesteading with his family in New York. He's the kind of guy that you want to sit down and hear his life story, but it's terribly intimidating because it's clear he's far more intelligent and has just lived so much more life. And I say that like he's old, but he has young kids. He's probably younger than me. Anyway, you're going to love this story about a young girl who finds a magical artifact deep in the woods. I had the honor of narrating it. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from Nicholas, as well as how to enter our giveaway. For now, please enjoy The Healer and the Beast by Nicholas Kotar. There was a place in the deep woods of northern Nebesta that no one in their right mind ever visited. The village storyteller called it Vila's Haven. Might as well call it the Belly of the Beast. In Varvara's mind, that name always had the gravelly intensity of her stepfather's voice during one of his don't-do-this-or-else speeches. But Varvara knew better. She knew in her bones that it was a place of old power, dormant, perhaps but still there, humming in the air and sleeping in the soil. That sleepy magic held out a promise of mischievous pleasure, a feathery tickling in her stomach just a bit short of real fear. To her, that tickle was real pleasure, and there were precious few things in Yastrev village that gave Varvara pleasure. Of course, there was another reason Varvara kept going to Vila's haven, a secret reason. A reason that, if anyone ever found out, would probably get her stoned in the village square, or ripped apart by Farmer Butilok's bull terriers, while everyone watched with what they only pretended was disgust. Varvara knew, as only a thirteen-year-old girl can, just how much they enjoyed watching the cleaning out of vagabonds and vasili and other filth. She was even honest enough with herself to admit she felt that hot enjoyment too, a little bit. It didn't make her feel good about herself, but it was connected to her secret. Of that, she was sure. Early summer meant that by the time she woke up, the sky was already pink when she slipped away to visit Vila's haven. Northern Nebesta was still cold such mornings, but Varvara didn't care much after the first five minutes or so of padding through the back alleys and still fallow gardens of her elderly neighbors, watching her breath make fanciful creatures with its misting. Her body quickly made its own heat, and the closer she got to Vila's haven, the more she felt the furry warmth of her secret steal over her skin and burrow itself into her chest. The sound of the twin waterfalls, like a giant trying to shush the whole world and failing miserably, was the first welcome. Then, as she gripped the stones of the final hill with her bare feet, only the tips of her fingers grazing the rocks for balance, she saw the shale wall shaped like a dog's head 
crowned with baby aspens dotted with tiny flecks of bright green. The face of the dog was constantly washed by one waterfall, while the other waterfalls seemed to reach out to the dog, trying to pet it, but never quite making it. Finally, the last sign she was close. The weird moaning sound mixed with what sounded like a bear snuffling. Soon after that, a skunky smell that a part of her abhorred, while another inhaled like a drunk pig farmer guzzling mead. She was close, her heart doing somersaults in her chest. Varvara went on all fours and loped. She heard the moan closer to her left. She stopped on all fours. Her knees complained at the points that they leaned on rock, even through the thick felt of her overdress. They weren't yet calloused after winter's softness. She'd have to do something about that later. Food? The thought was like a feather grazing the back of her head. It tickled. Glutton? She jeered, not fooling anyone with the stupid smile stretching her face. She had missed her so much. The sudden rush of butterflies in her stomach made her head spin. There she was, yellow striped flank and weasel muzzle and retractable claws and all. Her wolverine. Her... what? Her heart friend? Her bondmate? My other self, said the wolverine. Varvara had never thought about naming that connection they had shared since the wolverine had saved her from a fox when she had been left to die in the woods by her stepfather two weeks after she was born. A moment that she could actually picture, but not as a memory, as an odd, hazy still image from the perspective of an animal whose eyes were set apart much wider on its head than Varvara's. But now that the wolverine had put it into words, it felt right, solid like the shelf of rock that held her up. Still, there was something to the exclusivity of that naming that felt wrong, even as it excited her deep in her gut. That feeling puzzled her. She'd have to spend some time thinking about it. Later. She opened her arms wide and the wolverine lumbered up to her, head bobbing up and down, razor canines smiling wolfishly. There was always a split second, right before they met, that Varvara's animal mind wondered if this time the wolverine would decide she was better as a snack than as a friend. Not this time. They wrestled and hugged and giggled, each in her own way. Leaves flew over them, waterfall spray doused them, and dirt got in their nostrils, making them laugh and sneeze at the same time. When they were done, they were both winded but content. Varvara sat leaning on an old willow, its bark strangely soft on her back. The wolverine curled up in the space her crisscrossed legs made. They were one creature. Abomination. Varvara couldn't keep that thought out. It sounded gravelly-edged, and it smelled like tobacco smoke. Her stepfather's voice. The same voice that let her know, every moment of every day, that he would have preferred that she had died in the woods, not miraculously reappeared in the crib. Thank the heights no one had seen the wolverine bring her back. To this day, the secret remained safe. The wolverine cocked a single beady black eye up at her. Don't worry about it, said Barbara. It comes and goes. His eyes would be a tasty snack. Varvara guffawed, letting the wolverine snuffle come out full tilt in her voice. It felt so good to laugh that way. The way that made the village crones pretend not to look at her from the sides of their darting eyes. She hated them. She had no doubt they hated her, too. Feared her. Would take any opportunity to let that fear bend their men to violence. But enough of that. Got a surprise for you. Snack. 
The kind of snack that I'll actually like? The wolverine looked away, amused. She actually chuckled. It was probably some dead deer that had tried to drink at the edge of the falls and had fallen in instead. Sometimes Varvara felt sick at just how omnivorous her wolverine was. Nothing was off-limits. Wanna see? Not particularly, she thought, but then her curiosity got the better of her. And there was something about the light of the morning sun, red and thick like new maple syrup, that made the waterfall spray look like a rainbow curtain. She wanted to see it closer. Plus, she had yet to pay her respects to the denizen of Vila's Haven. Let's go. The wolverine led her into a culvert underneath the dog's head that most people didn't even know existed. It was so overgrown with old ivy, even in spring. As she approached, her animal sense perked up, and if she had fur on her back, it would have crested like a ruff. As it was, the goosebumps ran up and down as though ants were trying to build a hill on her spine. There was a strange sense, too. Something that seemed like a strong smell of lilac to her human nose but had an added element of sound to her animal sense. Something like the strumming of a harp, but just beyond hearing. It was always like that when she visited the mother. She saw her, and it was like the first time. Every time was like the first time. How? She didn't know. Didn't care. It just was. Lodged at the base of the shale wall, the waterfall spray falling like tears, was an ancient wooden carving of a woman holding a baby boy with a second, older boy at her side, clutching her hand. It was done in a strange style that Varvara saw nowhere else in northern Nebesta. Flat and exaggerated expressions on all the faces, stylized poses that called to mind something from a Vasilya fairy tale, the ones she wasn't supposed to read anymore, according to her stepfather. The clothes were oddly beautiful to her. Fur lined everything, and she thought she could see flecks of old gold paint. There were sockets in the eyes, and the hats where gems had probably been set by the artist. Every day, she imagined a different gem for the color of the mother's eyes. Usually, Varvara would curl up at the base of the mother in fetal position, and the wolverine would intertwine with her, and they would be there, silent, feeling a kinship with wood that she never felt with flesh. But this time, a sharp smell of blood inundated her thoughts, sharper than a normal person's. Then she saw it. There was a body lying at the foot of the statue. He was a dirty, bearded man, not very old. He didn't stink much, but that was because he was drenched by the freshness of the waterfall. His eyes were half-closed, but even in that slit she saw brilliant green, just like the new aspen leaves. The eyes, together with their dark hair and unkempt beard, made his face look even paler than it probably was. That, even more than the etchings on his sword scabbard, made it clear what he was. Vasilia. Her revulsion was immediate, and it was made worse by his taking her spot at the feet of the mother. But then she saw the wound in his side. It was still seeping, though the blood was pale now, trailing lazily into the pool into which his feet had tumbled. Poor man. He didn't have long to live. The wolverine snickered. I knew that you were pulling my leg, said Vivara. Even you won't eat that. She nodded her muzzle, strangely human-like, toward the man's hands. His right hand held a fish, still wriggling in the slack fingers. That's mackerel, sweet, fatty mackerel. Varvara nearly retched. She hated that taste, 
even as the wolverine's evident pleasure coursed through her, confusing her and making her head spin. The man groaned. So he wasn't dead yet. Then a thought stole into her mind on mouse feet. The war with Vasilia was brewing, everyone knew that. Only a matter of time. This was probably a spy, and he wasn't dead yet. If she, Barvara the Odd, Barvara the Idiot, brought the menfolk here? Well, they would likely take credit for finding the spy at the village council, but at least she would get some private respect. It might even change some things for her. Maybe a boy or two might actually look at her now. The wolverine was tearing into the fish with a vigor that made Barbara smile. As she watched and tasted a bit, the thought faded, along with the nasty pleasure that it seemed to promise. What was left was the smell of mackerel. Or maybe it was the smell of guilt. Barbara didn't want to think about it. She jumped right into the pool. It felt lovely. But then her thick blue felt dress immediately took on the weight of lead, and her arms, already heavy with the bangles of early womanhood, seemed plastered to her sides. Stupid, she chided herself. She pulled out a rag from her pocket. It was foul, but after rinsing it and rubbing the ends together, it seemed clean enough. At least for a Vasily. The wolverine flashed a thought at her, and Vavara's head moved almost of its own accord. She saw a heart-shaped herb growing between the cracks of the rocks at the edge of the pool. Now that she saw it, she smelled the leaves' strong, medicinal odor. I chew that after fights. Makes me feel better. Varvara pulled, and they came out, trailing a single knobby root. She recognized that root as something the village healer crone used to put in horrible teas when she had had fevers as a child. Gently, she crushed the leaves in her wet hands, and made a green wad of the mess. The warrior's mouth was just open enough for her to slip it in between his teeth. His breath stank, and she had to stop herself from turning away in disgust. She rolled up the root in the rag and crushed it against the rock, using it like a reverse rolling pin. A pungent mint smell came up on the edges of the fresh waterfall smell. She gently pushed the rag inside his wound. As she did, she touched the hand of the mother with her other hand and closed her eyes. Something passed from her to the wood, making the mother's hand seem soft and warm for a moment. The warrior's hand jerked toward his sword, but the movement was too much for him. He groaned, and as he did, his face puckered at the taste of the wad in his mouth. He tried to spit it out, but he was too weak, so he subsided into a complaining kind of whine, but she heard something else in it as well. Relief. She smiled. Much good this would do her in her village, she thought. But to turn him in would be like shooting a wounded fawn with an arrow from point-blank range. It was barbaric. She might have a bit of the wolverine to her, but she was no monster. And so began a new ritual in Varvara's life, the early morning nursing visit to a dying Vasily warrior. She filched bits of food and beer in increasingly sneaky ways. It made her laugh to see how her stepfather was annoyed by the rapidly diminishing cask. He even blamed Kikimura for it, and everyone knows Kikimura is a myth. By the fourth day of her secret ministrations, it seemed clear enough he would not die. By the sixth, he was speaking to her. It didn't take him long to get to the point. Why didn't you report me to the village elders? 
He seemed on the verge of saying more, but kept something to himself. So that when they do come, they can get a fresh Vasily for the wreck, Varvara said, forcing the giggles to remain deep inside her chest. She looked at him and was delighted to see that he had taken her seriously. But then it was all too much. She erupted into laughter, falling on her back and wriggling her feet in delight. The suddenness of that brought the still-shy Wolverine out to play. To Vavara's surprise, after an initial wariness, the warrior didn't seem to find anything wrong with her connection to the Wolverine. In fact, the way he looked at her suggested he had either had similar experiences or knew of someone who had. One morning, in his usually abrupt way, he asked about it even before he had said so much as a good morning to her. Do you have connections with other beasts, or only the she-wolverine? Only her. She's my bond, my mate. Odd phrasing, he said more to himself. Have you tried connecting with others? Varvara was struck by the question. It had never occurred to her. Immediately, she wanted to try. She looked up into the trees by the pond, willows well out of their yellow furry state and into the deep green weeping leaf state, and saw a kingfisher on a drooping branch. That was lucky. Hardly anyone saw kingfishers these days. She screwed her face up as she reached out toward it with her thoughts, and found her hand coming up of its own accord, offering the skittish little bird a perch closer to the water. She thought she felt a stirring of something. But it was just the wolverine laughing at her. The kingfisher squawked and flew into the water at the warrior's feet, coming up with a tiny fish in its long beak and flying right back up to its old perch. It tossed the fish up and gulped it down. Varvara could swear the thing smiled at her. She stuck her tongue out at the nasty bird. The warrior laughed, but it was directed at the kingfisher, a laugh of joy at the beauty of small, shiny things made iridescent in the sun. Varvara liked those things, too. Maybe he had Nebesti blood somewhere in his veins after all. What's your name? she asked, hoping to take advantage of his good mood. He choked on the answer and smiled, but he said nothing. I thought so. You're someone important, or at least someone who thinks himself important. She was warm with pride at having figured it out. Best if you don't know, he said, his brows knitting so close together they were almost a unibrow. That way, when your men find me, you won't be punished as severely. They won't find you. You're my personal secret, and they're afraid of me, so... Ah, he said, as his eyes did a strange, deepening thing, where they seemed to get darker all of a sudden. Your sensitivity. They think it's black magic, or something like that? Something like that, she found herself mumbling. She was feeling sorry for herself again. The black clouds at the edges of her mind were gathering. Not good. You know that it's an ancient gift, don't you? The kind of thing that makes you more likely to hear the songs of higher creatures. Ones that inhabit deeper realms. Ah, so his injuries had affected his head. She had wondered about that. It's my little secret, that's all, she said. But she felt like a little girl when she said it. It was so much more than that. Now she found herself more and more unhappy with the wolverine. She suspected that the wolverine was hogging her attention. Little things started to come into focus for her. The flash of purple in a dragonfly's wings. The way water poured over a duck's back without making the feathers wet. The particular shade of gray on a robin's back that was just as colorful as the kingfisher's wing. 
but these things passed by her. She wanted to make them stop, to enter into their secrets as deeply as she understood the ragged thoughts of the wolverine. But always, the smells and tastes of the little beast overwhelmed her. She began to feel sick at the sight of her bondmate. One morning, the sun was already up before she even woke. As Vavara sneaked past a potato patch that already had seedlings reaching up to her calves, she saw that someone stirred inside the hut of old Pelagia next door. Sneaky as a cat, she hid behind an old maple and looked out at the main path wending its muddy way through the village. Four of the houses she saw had smoke lazily curling up through the chimneys. She realized she had already smelled the smoke yesterday, but had thought nothing of it then. She would have to be more careful if she wanted the warrior to remain hidden, and her secret to remain a secret. Her heart dropped at the thought, and she hurried out of the village through a thicket of brambles. No one would think to follow her there. Hopefully, her stepfather wouldn't notice the scratches on her hands from the young blackberry bushes. The sun, when she walked through it between glades of maples with boughs thick with wet leaves like grape clusters, didn't warm her so much as coat her with a sheen of sweat. The thought of the long summer sun and the muggy warmth that made swimming so wonderful usually lit up a little ember of joy inside her. Now, she could only think of lightning strikes and black thunderheads and hours cooped up inside with her stepfather getting drunker by each thunderclap. You're in a mood said the warrior when she hopped into the glade where he slept, never far away from the old carved statue of the woman and children. She growled at him. Where's the wolverine? he asked, avoiding her eyes. I hope she runs away forever and leaves me alone. The silence stretched out from him like a song. She felt foolish and ashamed and tiny and embarrassed. She wanted to be anywhere but here. But she wanted to be here more than anywhere else. It was very confusing. Varyusha, he said, using her baby name for the first time. It felt good when he said it, warm and fuzzy in her belly. Don't blame the wolverine. It's not her fault. But... He was poised in mid-thought, about to say something so important it would probably change the course of her life. So of course, that was the moment it all came crashing down. So this is where you've been wasting your time. The voice, compared to the warrior's sing-song baritone, was like a saw chewing through old wood. Her stepfather walked out of the dappled shadows into the slanting light of the morning sun through the aspens that crowned the dog's head above them. Was it because she imagined him through the warrior's eyes? Or was it the sensitivity he had awoken in her? Because she had never before noticed just how red his potato nose was and just how much like a weasel's were his pale gray eyes. She hated him but the dropping pit in her stomach warned that the hatred was still cowering before something more primal. He was going to hurt her. She knew it, and she felt it in the old bruises in her shoulders, her hip, her neck, where he often grabbed her with fingers like cold pinchers. And what do we have here? Her stepfather's voice had a tinkle of gold coin in it. Oh, the elders will be thrilled when I tell them what I found. Then his eyes widened. Bavara had never realized how wide apart they were. The warrior sat where he always did, but there was an edge to his stillness. Even though his hand was not on his sword, Varvara felt that he knew the exact distance between hand and hilt, and that the distance could be covered in a blink. And what a catch! 
Varvara's stepfather looked at her with an expression like he would eat the whole world and still want more. You don't know who he is, do you? Well, it seems like you've finally done some good in the world. His eyes darted back to the warrior. Then he sighed in deep contentment. His hand was on his belt, where Vavara saw an old ox horn hanging by a leather clasp. The kind that the hunters used when keeping tabs on each other in the deep forest. He was going to summon the armed men from the village. Varvara, do you know who this is? In spite of herself, Varvara wanted to know more than anything else. She stood still in indecision. This is Voron of Vesalia, the great traitor, the man responsible for the raven's return to the three lands. Voron chuckled, but somehow remained just as tense as before. Is that what they say about me in northern Nebesta? Ungrateful, I'd say. Ungrateful? sneered her stepfather. When have you brought anything but bad luck to our land? A shadow seemed to dim the light in Voron's green eyes. There was a time, he said quietly, more to himself than anyone else, when I was known as a healer. A healer? Her stepfather barked. It could hardly be called laughter. You are the blight, and to be rid of you will heal this land. He deftly unclasped his horn with fingers that were normally thick and clumsy, only good for grabbing hair or tankards. Slowly, as if savoring the moments, he raised it to his lips. He waited. He inhaled. Slowly, he pursed his lips. Then his face was a blur of brown fur and fangs and blood. Varvara hadn't realized she was doing it. She had been calling to her wolverine nonstop since her stepfather had entered the glade. Her stepfather grabbed the wolverine with hands whose strength Varvara knew well enough. His face was slashed in streaks of angry red, but his eyes were redder with hatred. With inhuman strength, he threw the wolverine against the rocks. Something cracked audibly. The wolverine screamed. It was not an animal scream. It was a human scream. Varvara's mind reeled. She knew that scream. A memory rose up inside her, a scene of a man and woman, faces above her at an odd angle, as though she were lying on her back. The woman in white-eyed terror, the man with his hand raised, his fingers twisted, and his mouth muttering something black and vile. But at that moment, everything in Varvara's mind seemed to go dark, and her body froze in utter terror. She couldn't move a finger. She heard herself whimper, but it was like she was listening through fog to someone else. Don't move. It was Voron. Somehow he had gotten across the pond, sword in hand, the tip of it grazing the neck of her stepfather, who was breathing heavily, but who otherwise seemed not bothered at all by the metal at his throat. You can't touch me, he hissed. Your kind has no power over mine. In a moment, the sword had turned into a twisting snake, jaws obscenely distended to reveal, impossibly, three rows of angled fangs. Voron dropped it and jumped back. The adder was a sword again, but Voron remained where he was. I know what you are, he said. She doesn't know, does she? Varvara's stepfather's eyes were little more than slits now. The blood dripped down on his shirt in odd designs of red-brown whirls. She knows, in her deeps. Varvara did. She knew he was a mage, 
that he beat her because it gave him pleasure, but also because somehow that act gave him something, as though her terror physically filled him with palpable power. Don't you know that that sort of magic always goes both ways? Voron said, and now he was looking at Varvara. She tried to cower into oblivion, to disappear, but she couldn't move. Varyusha, listen to her voice. Listen to what she's been trying to tell you all these years. Her? The Wolverine. She was a bloody mess on the rocks, body twisted in all the wrong places. She wheezed pitifully. Her eyes were fixed on Varvara's. Varvara had been avoiding them. There was a terrible truth in them. She must not look. She must not listen. No, I will not. Leave me alone. She felt the wolverine fading from inside her. Listen to her, Varyusha, or you'll never forgive yourself. The sound of the ox horn jolted Varvara out of her frozenness. She saw her father loping like a wolf through the trees as the sound echoed against the rocks. He's going to have you tortured, she said not looking at Voron, not looking at the wolverine, not looking at anything. Varyusha, she's dying. Give her peace in death. And then Varvara knew it. She saw the truth reflected from her heart into his eyes, the truth that she had been hiding from her whole life. It was like a taut bowstring snapping. She was free, and she ran to her wolverine, cradled her in her arms. The tears fell like the waterfall washing the side of the dog's face. I'm sorry, Mama. I'm so sorry. She remembered how her stepfather had struck her mother while Varvara was a baby in the crib, and in that act had spoken dark words that echoed in shadows and thunderheads and abysses. He had transformed her mother, imprisoning her in the body of a wolverine. But she had escaped, and she had saved Varvara from him for a time at least. She hugged the limp body of her friend, her bondmate. No, her mother. She was going to lose her, and she had only just found her again. It was too much. She closed her eyes and went deep into the awareness of the wolverine. The whole world opened up to her like a flower revealing at its heart a perfect pillow of golden pollen. All the trees leaned toward her, all the birds stopped their song to hear her crying. All the beasts gathered to the edges of that glade to see her. She was connected to all of them, hearing all their tiny flitting thoughts, feeling all the palpitations of their little hearts. They were full of life, of greenness, of potential. They were a force, a river of power that flowed through her heart and threatened to rip her into the individual tiny threads of existence. She had them all in her. They all had her in them. It was terrible. It was beautiful. It was pointless. She didn't want them. She wanted her mother. Voron took the body of the wolverine from her. She didn't fight back. He put the body at the feet of the mother. He was weeping too, as he touched the statue for support. Varvara reached for the wolverine's senses. She felt nothing. Suddenly, light blazed around them, like the sun reflecting on a grassy field covered with dew. But the sun was here, in the glade, shining with the closeness of a bonfire, or rather a thousand bonfires put into one.
It shone from the statue of the woman and two children. Voron was leaning against the mother, looking at her face with an expression of intense pain and longing, but joy also. The eyes of the statue were now actual sapphires. Her clothing was cold with blue filigree, and both her children had a face the color of milk. The light was like a physical presence, like a blanket in the middle of a blizzard, like love put into a thing you could see. Voron smiled. Vasilia has been the land of kings and warriors for so long. We forgot why Nebesta was so special. The land of the mother of Lassar the Blessed. Varvara felt herself go cold at his expression. His face had gone sickly pale. She looked down, and there it was. A blood stain in his side, spreading anew. What did you do? She whispered. Thank you for your gift, daughter of Nebesta, he said. Receive my thanks. The light flared suddenly, then went out. For a moment, everything went black. Varvara thought she had been blinded. Then she was in the embrace of someone soft, someone who smelled faintly of musk and forest leaves after a spring rain. Varyushka, it's going to be okay, she said. Varvara opened her eyes. She was staring directly into the dark eyes of her mother. She had gray in her temples and creases in the corners of her eyes. She was perfect. Mama? She said, and melted into her embrace. You died. No, darling. The wolverine died. It's an old, dark magic, said Voron, his voice raspy with effort. Trapping a human body into the form of an animal. The death of the animal usually means the death of the human. But I have had some experience with that magic. He smiled, remembering something. But your wound, said Barbara, still in her mother's embrace. She would never leave it again if she had her way. Your sensitivity, Varayusha. It's a gift you've had from birth. You are a healer. You use the natural power of the earth to heal wounds and hearts. It's what's kept you alive. It's also what your stepfather has been leeching from you since you were born. He sat down on the stones heavily, his hand on his wound. The blood seeped through his fingers insistently. His kind of power cannot make things of its own. It can only leech off the power of others and misuse it, twist it for vile ends. When he used his magic on your mother, he was trying to kill her. But he was leeching off your natural life-giving magic. So there was a seed there, something that in the right soil would produce a great fruit. He gasped with pain, then smiled ruefully. You've been seeding that healing magic of yours into the mother. Objects like this statue, they are not simply wood or stone or plaster. They are more. They contain the life of the thing they represent. When you healed me, you did it with the mother's blessing. But it was the herbs. I didn't do anything. Herbs in the hands of a healer can perform miraculous things, he said. Especially when you have the heart that you do. 
the mother of Lassar helps those who have such hearts, such motherly hearts. But you'll die. He waved his hand in dismissal. I've had worse, he said, and managed a pained chuckle. The oxhorns blared again, this time from the direction of Yastrev village. You'd better get going, said Vohran. You don't want to be here when they find me. I'd suggest Nebesta City. From what I hear, it's having a bit of a resurgence. Sure to be a place for such as you. I hope you enjoyed listening to The Healer and the Beast by Nicholas Kotar, narrated by Corinne Norton. If you want to read more by Nicholas, go to nicholaskotar.com to find more of his books. When you sign up for his newsletter, you'll get a free copy of his novella, The Son of the Deathless, which is actually how I found him, and ever since, I've been stalking his newsletter and waiting for him to put out a short story that would fit in the time constraints of the podcast. You'll also want to check out this month's giveaway, which includes a paperback copy of The Song of the Siren, the first book in Nicholas Kotar's Raven Sun series. Today's story actually fits between book one and two, so if you liked this story, you'll love his series. Go to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. As always, I will have links for all those sites in the show notes. If you're not aware, I record these episodes pretty far in advance because I want this to always be something fun and never stressful, so I keep forgetting to tell you guys that Finding Fantasy Reads recently hit a milestone. There's a website called Listen Notes that rates podcasts globally to show their popularity. And while I'm not aiming to be the most popular podcast, I do want to extend my reach to serve more fantasy readers, which in turn serves the authors I feature. It's a beautiful cycle that I hope to keep up for many episodes to come. Anyway, Listen Notes doesn't even bother giving you a percentage until you hit the top 10% of podcasts in the world. I didn't anticipate seeing numbers show up there anytime soon, but this last month we crept into that 10% slot. It's small potatoes because it means we're barely in the top 300,000 podcasts. But it also means we have a wider reach than 2.7 million other podcasts, and that's pretty good for this baby podcast. And that has so much to do with all of you and how much you're sharing the podcast. I'm so appreciative of it, and I hope you all know it. So thank you. If my sappy update distracted you, please don't forget to check out Nicholas Kotar's website and enter the giveaway. All the links are in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.